Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. Executive education, ongoing education after you get out of school. The Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy is famous for these programs, not just for the uh, students in residence, if you will, but also for uh, running programs for uh, for companies, for executives uh, after uh, they get out of school and, and while they are working. Joining us now, Francesco Mancini, the Vice Dean for Executive Education and Associate Professor in Practice at the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy. Francesco, great to have you on this morning. Good morning. Welcome to Money FM. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Neil. Great to have to have you to be here. Thank you very much. Well, the uh, the LKY School, as we know, uh, has many many programs throughout the year. Tell us, just give us an idea of of the range of programs that you put on for people who are not full time students. Yeah, so this is what we call lifelong education, right? So mm. that's what you get throughout your professional life because. We know that today knowledge ages very fast. And so we expect, you know, to go to school and, you know, 25, 27, maybe we take a master and then we work for the following 50 years without having learning anything new. Uh, that's obviously not going uh, uh, to work. Neil and I actually know a lot about that. We do. Not learning yeah, anything okay. once we get out of school. But anyway, carry on. <laughs> well, you can come back to the school, our school all the time if you want. Do they have a radio um, program at your school for us to take? <laughs> yeah, yeah well, we, we can do that. We can do that. We can do that. Um, Sorry if I So these kind of revolving doors, right? Between, you know, yeah. you do your, your work and then you come back, you learn something new and you learn obviously in your profession and so on and so forth. It's very much what we do. Obviously, we are in the public policy realm, mm-hmm. where, which means that we get a lot of officials from governments around the world, uh, from Singapore, but not only, Southeast Asia, the, the, the rest of Asia, China, India, um, the Central Asia, and more and more from the Middle East, from Africa, uh, from Europe and North America, Australia. So it's really a global business, if you want. Mm-hmm. Um, mo- most of the people come to us to learn about certain policy, you know, education, housing, health. Uh, but a lot of what we do are sort of what we call cross-cutting skills. Um, communication, for example, you are the master. Um, <laughs> design thinking, um, behavioral insights, leadership, and so on and so forth, right? Things that can be applied across different uh, fields. Now, pre-COVID, we were running approximately 60 to 70 programs every year face-to-face. Wow. With people coming to Singapore from literally everywhere. So you imagine that, you know, we're in the business here of bringing people together, right, to learn, and then COVID happens. Mm. And, you know, this obviously, you know, happened to many businesses around the world. We went from 60, 70 programs a year to zero. Um, Mm. So we literally had to reinvent ourselves. Well, that was going to be my question, uh, Francesco, if I could jump in, because Glenn and I, we both do communications talks, workshops, lectures. The whole teaching dynamic, you know, person to person, person to group has changed perhaps forever in the last year or so. And that was going to be my question to you. How has it changed at the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy? What were your innovations? What changes did you make to to that teaching experience? Yeah, it changed dramatically because you might think, you know, oh, you just, you just, what you do in a classroom, you do it online. Uh, no, uh, there are many changes. First change is obviously the structure of your program. You can't keep people online for eight hours. Yeah. Uh, you get exhausted, you get distracted. Computers are very distracted things because they offer many things at the same time. Mm. So you have to structure your course in a more chunks of, of, of knowledge in a, in a longer period. The second thing is the pedagogy, what we say. It's, it's how you teach, mm. right? 
you can't just talk for an hour and a half. Uh, people are not going to fall in you. You were talking about movies before. I mean, these are all great movies, but you're not going to watch one after the other, right, for two days in a row. Um, and so we say to our professor, okay, you have your one hour and a half talk. Now, organize what you know in chunks of 10, 15 minutes. Perfect. And in between, you do other things, right? You do a poll, you do a chat, you do a breakout room. So you do things that force your brain to kind of engage in a different way. So in other words, instead of thinking of a movie, you are making a TV series, mm. right? With episodes that you have to watch, right? Have a sequence and a logic in it. If you want, you can jump in episode 15, but you really need to watch the previous 14 to understand what is going on, right? <laughs> so that's the big change in the way you have to teach. Uh, we're speaking with Francesco Mancini, the Vice Dean and Associate Professor at the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy. And Francesco, uh, you know, pardon pardon me for saying this in this way, but shouldn't this have been the way that education always should be? You know, a little bit of discourse and then, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, teaching and then discourse with the teams, with the with the students. I remember from my university days, you know, sitting and listening to a lecture for an hour and then being assigned something to do and, you know, nodding off and, and all that. And, and Zoom and virtual networks in a way have, have I think, it reinvigorated the learning process in a way that probably it should have been done all along from uh, educational institutions across the globe. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I fully agree. I mean, we grew up pretty much in different parts of the world, but around the same time. And I, I remember a professor coming into a classroom, reading from yeah. his own book. Yeah, right. Okay? <laughs> which, which, honestly, I can do by myself. Exactly, right? so, exactly. Um, so, no, unless, you know, Dusty Hoffman, you know, then I really want to hear from you. But, um, so, but you know what it was? The thing is, our classrooms were full. Right. So we didn't really have an incentive to change. Yeah, yeah. And also, you know, academia, it's pretty traditional, right, in the way they do things. But COVID, all of a sudden, our classes were empty. Yeah. There was nothing else we could do than reorganize ourselves. So we all knew, as you said, Glenn, that all these things are already there. All the trends that are now forcing us to do uh, this new way of, of delivering knowledge were already there before COVID. But COVID had just accelerated all this in a dramatic way, and I would say even in an existential way, hmm. uh, because we don't have an alternative, right? So now we do have the incentives, we're doing it, and we're transforming the way people absorb knowledge, engage with knowledge, and learn. And on that point, Francesco, um, now that the educational model has been revolutionized and there's no way back, Singapore being Singapore, always looking for a dollar, <laughs> always looking for a way to monetize. And I'm already hearing people within the education community. You mentioned full classes before saying, hang on a minute. I don't need to just talk to the 200 students in the physical tactile room anymore. I could talk to 2,000 students across Asia. I could talk to 20,000 students mm. across the world. And our tertiary institutions can all get richer. We can double the salaries of all of our lecturers. Is this something <laughs> that you have discussed? Is this something that you see happening in the educational sector? Because I certainly heard people talk about it. That sort of future of universities. Yeah, yeah, talk. very much so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, very much. We talked about this almost every day. So <laughs> things are extremely fluid, right? Yeah. So the idea is that now you open this big space, everybody can come in. Everybody. So in reality, a lot of these alternative platforms already existed in uh, before COVID. Right. Uh, the challenge they have, they're not really making money. 
uh, it's actually not so easy to make money with online education. In fact, the other big challenge that we have is the, the, the financial structure, right? Imagine of academia, university, a lot of infrastructure, real estate, right? Space, uh, fixed cost. Uh, these are all things that don't resonate very well with online training. So there is a big challenge there on how you transform that cost structure to make it a profitable business. But the platforms are finding out that their problem is not just reaching out. They can't reach out. The problem is content. Mm. Who is generating content that is reliable? Uh, before you were talking about you know, yeah. fake news and the problem of you know, what, the quality of what we're absorbing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the brand of university are still strong. And so in, in the business also make a difference if you have a degree from a certain school versus another one. Right? So a lot of these online platforms are actually looking for content produced by more traditional schools, like ours, for example. Mm. And this is a perfect manage because these platforms have a fantastic outreach. As you said, instead of my 80 students, I can reach 1,000, right? And we bring in the content. So it's a yeah. perfect place to be, but you, you know, it's the business model that has to still be figured mm. out. Yeah, I'm speaking the with friends. The big challenge going mm. forward, I yeah. think, is... If we are also good to do online education, right? Why should you ever come back to a campus? Yeah. Why should I spend more money, right? Because obviously it's more expensive. You have to travel, you have to pay an hotel. Eh? Yeah. Why, why you have to come here? <laughs> right? So we're now trying to convince you that online is great, online is great. But I think in the next two or three years, I would have to try to convince you, hey, you need to come back to the campus. Yeah, but, I have strong right? views on that, but I'll let Glenn go well, first. And, it's a, yeah. and it's, a great, it's a great topic. And that is, as we've seen in the business world, you know, companies that used to have three floors of office space in the past year have now reduced it to one, one floor, saved their costs, and, and now encouraging 50% of their you know, workers to work from home on a regular basis, that sort of thing. You know, when we look at the brick and mortar investment that universities have across the planet, it's massive. And, you know, the huge campuses, the living facilities. But this has always been part of the learning experience, especially at the, at the you know, uh, let's call it the high school and university level, which is this socialization element of it. Correct. And first off, do you see that going away? I mean, do you see schools wanting to save some money on their real estate uh, and maybe downsizing. But but then how do you then keep that uh, collegiality and that that uh, exchange of ideas and going to the quad or going to the coffee shop with a group of students to, to chat about something? How do you do that Perfect. So, in our yeah, hybrid yeah. world no, going yeah, forward? Absolutely. So you, you, you put a finger exactly on, on the right spot. Um, if I want you back in my campus, I need to give you a value. Right, mm. because I just show you that that famous one hour and a half lecture, you can listen to it from your couch. You don't need to come here. Correct. Yep. Okay, that's fine. We all agree on that. But if I want you to come here, then I need to show you what the value is, and the value is exactly what you were saying. The mm. value is network, right? So I need to create spaces in which the mm. knowledge is exchanged among participants. Because by the way, we bring in professionals. So all these professionals have knowledge themselves. Right. And one of the advantages, people want to talk to each other and learn from each other. So you have to create these moments, which can be done online, but let's say still suboptimal, right? Um, and so bringing it into a physical space. Um, and maybe, maybe the future is a classroom which looks more like a cafe, mm. right? We look more like a space, a more distractor space, 
in which everybody's on the same level. Hmm. Everybody's moving around, right? There is not a professor there. The professor is a facilitator, right? Is a curator of a learning experience. Is not the owner, the holder of the knowledge. Right. Is the place that you know is the person who knows a bit more about it, but is able to organize that ex- learning experience. And then there is get out of the campus, go to see things, hmm. right? Meet people. And Singapore is a fantastic place to do that. We actually call it a living laboratory of public policy, mm-hmm. where you can actually go to see with your eyes how things work and that's been done, right? And that has been a, a, a prime uh, things that people want to do to come here. And obviously, right now we can offer and we really look forward and think that is the value added of a campus experience. I would go even further, Francesco. I would say that for the first entirely raised digital generation, what the university campus experience offers has become more important than ever before. Because to me, the university experience is, yes, it's about education, but really it's a bridge. It's a bridge towards life. It's a bridge towards career. It's a bridge towards independence. For the first time, arguably, in many students' lives, they're, they're among and mingling with different races, yeah. different genders, different nationalities, different sexualities. They're navigating themselves through the obstacles of life in a very, let's be honest, quite safe and controlled environment. And that's what the university experience has to surely continue to offer moving forward. Yes, absolutely. And obviously you're talking about a kind of a younger crowd than the ones yeah, yeah, of I, course, I was of course. speaking yes. before. Yes, yes. But I fully agree, right? Yeah. And that means that as, a, as an administrator of university, you need to put much more effort to allow that to happen, right? Um, online is very hard to create serendipity. Yes. It's very hard to create those moments, right, of, of collection. In fact, you have to curate things much more online, right? Mm-hmm. The campus, the physical connection create that moment and you have to create spaces that allow for people to have that serendipity of exchange, learning and so on. And I think that is the value added of the campus and that is not going away. It just had to be valorized and has to be constructed in a way that people understand that there is a value, which is also obviously a money value uh, in, in doing that. Yeah. Francesco, great topic and uh, certainly one that is of of vital uh, importance to undergraduates and graduates and ex-graduates as well. Uh, Thanks for being with us today, Francesco Mancini from the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy. Really appreciate your time and come back and, uh, and tell us how the hybrid model is evolving, please. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.